your Bibles, if you will, and let's go back to the book of Romans and uh, proceed with our, dis- our discussion and study of it. We're in verse 29, as you know. Um, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 at verse 29. Um, don't let me forget this. When, when we're finished, somebody needs to move that we adjourn. Okay, so they can go into the minutes that we adjourned. Um, and so we'll, I'll, I'll probably stop a few minutes early so that we can adjourn, you know, <laughs> and be really officious. Um, by the way, in case you're wondering, if you're here, uh, meetings that we're voting on building buildings and buying real estate, those, they take a whole lot longer. <laughs> but this is a process we do every year because we have a rotating session. That means men serve three years and they rotate off. And that means we have vacancies every year. This is not an abnormality. This is just as normal as what, I mean, this is what we do. And uh, so those vacancies have to be uh, filled every year. We have a, a session of 13. We have 12 men that four rotate off every year. And then Bob Wood, as you know, um, was made an elder emeritus at age 75. And anybody who's made it to age 75 and still walks with enthusiasm, uh, walks with Jesus with enthusiasm, deserves to be an elder emeritus. It seems to us. So um, that's that's and then Brent and I and and Jeff are at those meetings. But otherwise, those 13 men uh, make the decisions about this church. Okay, let me read you uh, 29 and 30 and and uh, we will jump in for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined. He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Very rich portion um, of the word of God. Uh, you might remember uh, we were together two weeks ago on the, uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and um, uh, I, I mentioned a couple of things to you that I want to... Um, um, that's purple, it's not blue, um, that I want to just remind you about. Remember, I said there are five words there that, that, that verses 29 and 30 are basically a commentary on the last clause of verse 28, according to his purpose. That's in verse 28. Verses 29 and 30 are a commentary on that last clause of verse 28. Um, we, I tried to establish some weeks ago that God indeed has this plan that he's unfolding, and it has five steps to it. The first one was those whom he foreknew. Um, and that's what we looked at last week. And those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, and those whom he predestined then he also called. And them who he called, them he also justified. And those who he justified, them he also glorified. Um, and I tried to make this fairly clear that this is all describing the same group of people. None of these, none, none of us experience just a couple of these things. No, no. He who's justified is he who's foreknown. And he who's predestined is he who's glorified. There, uh, you, I use this term uh, it's familiar to some of you. It's just called a golden chain. The theological term is, this is an introduction to the ordo salutis. That is, that there is an order to salvation. There is a sequence. There is a, uh, 
there is a rhyme and reason. There is a, um, um, there's a logic to it. Now, I know in, in 21st century evangelicalism, the whole idea of logic, you're supposed to forget your brains. I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that is a very dangerous emphasis that's being made in evangelicalism today. Uh, that being, um, you know, you, you know, God doesn't, um, you're not going to know God through doctrine. Well, you know, there, there's, there's a certain truth to that, yes. But ladies and gentlemen, how does God reach you as a human being? Does he come through your fingertips? Does he tickle your toes? Or does he come through your minds as you wrestle with concepts about who he is and through your mind grab hold of your heart? And as a result of grabbing hold of your heart, your will is then affected. It is very dangerous to, to spout these silly-sounding spiritual platitudes about we no creed but Christ, no doctrine but... you know That's just... This is the way God exposes Himself to us, is by teaching us certain things about who He is and, 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 and what He does. This is... This is it, I don't know another way to get to know God than to get to know Him through the precepts uh, that are contained in His Word. So... I mean, if this, if this kind of grosses you out, that is, oh, we don't need that stuff. I say to you, gang, you do need this stuff. Uh, I don't need anything but Jesus. Well, my first question for you is, who is Jesus? And immediately, we are embroiled in a doctrinal and theological discussion. <laughs> you can't have just a concept. It's got to be filled up with truth. And that truth is something that our job is to simply mine it from that book and fill up these concepts and fill up these words as they were intended to be filled up. All right. Um, so last week we talked about that. Um, and I'll mention a, just one quick thing about that a little bit later. But tonight we go here. Uh, the, the P word um, that seems to be um, quite a... A fighting word for some. All right, let's, uh, oh, by the way, I told you two weeks ago that what I was going to do is that we were going to take five weeks, or no, that's not true, about three weeks on these five words. I wasn't in a hurry, and I hope you're not, and so what we, I wanted to make sure that these words were, as best I can, handled um, somewhat completely, um, or not really completely, but adequately. Um, all right, guys, um, how about we do this? Um, no, no, let's not do that. Um, oh, it never does what I want it to do. Uh, there we go. Uh, okay, we're going to, we're going to, just for the sake of clarity, um, we're going to, we're just going to put the one word up there. So, um, all right. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, okay. Now, what does that word mean? Um, let me tell you what I think it means. I think it means exactly what it sounds like it means. <laughs> um, I, I think... 
what it appears to mean in the English is what it appears to mean in the Greek. And yet, um, giant gymnastics are performed to try and get it not to mean that. Um, What does it appear to mean to you? Well, I want to suggest to you, um, that's what it means. Now, if you want the, uh, I think it's fairly clear in the English, but if you'd like, um, uh, if you'd like to, you know, make this worth your while, it's a combination of two Greek words. Uh, uh you, you com- combine those two, and that's the word that's this one. But this, this is a prefix, uh, which you can recognize means before. And this word, um, uh, for those of you, th- this is called a rough breathe. So you put an H out there. It's the, it's the Greek word from which we get our English word horizon. Um, that's the word that's translated predestined. Um, the word means, I, I think, um, or at least I want to suggest to you, it means to, to designate something beforehand. Um, it's the mapping out of a destiny before, beforehand. Um, it's to make a plan ahead of time. Now, that's what the word means. I, and I, uh, I to, to try and um, get it to say something else is going to going to test your rationality. I think. If you'd like to have some kind of um, uh, illustration, I think a, a good one would come to you from Genesis 50:20. So if you've got your Bibles open, uh, turn to Genesis 50:20. Let's look at that for a minute, and then we'll um, we'll launch into uh, other directions. But I, I think you know Genesis 50:20. It's um, it's right at the end of the story about Joseph. You remember Joseph? who was the son of Jacob, and he was the one who had the coat of many colors, and his brothers envied him, and they finally sold him into slavery. And, and um, uh, he goes down to Egypt, and he you know, gets in trouble with Potiphar's wife, and he gets into jail, and, and he gets out of jail, and he arises to the right hand of Pharaoh, and, and they plan the seven years of famine and the seven years of plenty, and, and he manages the whole thing, and he becomes the lead guy. And, and finally, his brothers and his father are dying of starvation, and they're trying to figure out, what do we do? Let's go down to Egypt and buy some food. And, and then there's this trickery that goes on. Uh, 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 Joseph won't reveal who he is and sticks their money back in their bags and all that business. Do you remember that story? It's a long story. It's a, it's a great one. It starts in chapter 37, and it really pretty much concludes the book of Genesis. So 13, 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. But at the end... Um, um, Joseph, excuse me, Jacob dies. Jacob is Joseph's dad. And the other brothers are thinking, oh, oh, daddy's gone. Now our big brother is going to really make us pay for what we did. And so they come to him and they say, um, you know, listen, you know, daddy told us to tell you before you died, don't do anything bad to us. And, and Joseph is grieved, grieved that they would think this about him. 
And, and then he's talking to them. Uh, it's in verse 15 in chapter 50. Then Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead. They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we had done. So they sent a message to, uh, to Joseph saying, your father, you know, your father, our father, same guy, uh, gave this command. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers. Do you see what they're doing? I mean, they're, they're kind of wheedling in there so that they can uh, say, listen, don't hurt us. And um, one, one of the, the, just a precious scene, at least to me, um, verse 17, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He wept because it was such an assault on his own character. That is, did you think that now that daddy's dead, I was gonna, I was gonna brutalize you? And then he goes on to say, he, he speaks to them, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Here it is. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. A great statement, ladies and gentlemen, about the whole idea of uh, of mapping out something beforehand. All of this is being unfolded in time and space, and yet uh, as, as it all plays out in all these people's lives. But behind it all is a God who has who has mapped it out. Yeah, all this unfolds, but God has mapped it out so that He can save many people from starvation. That's the idea, guys. That God has made a plan ahead of time. And that thing is unfolding in the course of space and time. In the unfolding of moments in your life. That's what he's up to. He has unfold, he is unfolding this plan that he made ahead of time. That's what the word predestined means. Now guys, let me speak to you uh, with some hope of, I don't know, hope of something. Hope of good result, I guess. This is a hated word. And, and if it's not hated, it's certainly, um, it's certainly a disagreed upon word. It's a, it's fighting words for, for some folks. And I, and I have to tell you, if you hate it, then you got the problem. Um, because it is a biblical word. It appears six or seven times in the New Testament. So you're gonna have to figure out how you understand it. I just told you what I think the word means. And you can take what I just said and plug it into um, Romans 8, 29. Um, but you're going to have to figure out what it is that, that you think God is saying in that word. Um, I think people hate it for a lot of reasons, or at least they're not real comfortable with it for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons that they're real uncomfortable with it is because they think that somebody is about to tell them that um, that word means that there's some kind of automaton. Do you know what an automaton is? It's a robot. You ever hear that talked about? You know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to consider myself. I don't want to view myself. I don't want to think. I don't want to believe that I'm some kind of automaton, some type of um, robot. That's that's part of the reason that they're so afraid of the word. The other reason I think that it causes such um, uh, 
concern is that they, um, I think people just downright misunderstand what's being said in it. I think they hate it much for the same reasons that they hate the word submission. The evangelical world, or at least the religious world, hate, or the culture hates the word submission. And there's nothing more beautiful than submission. There's nothing more beautiful than the concepts packed into that word. But I mean, once you, uh, you know, I, I do marriage counseling a lot, and uh, that is premarital counseling, and, and I have on more than one occasion been asked to uh, take that word out of my wedding ceremonies. The word submission. And I, and I always look at them and say, I'm not about to. Let me tell you what it means. And by the time they're, you know, we're finished, they kind of like the word, I hope. But, and I would hope the same thing here. I, I would hope that you would love this word. Gang, this is a part of our comfort. This is a part of our certainty and our assurance that God has done this. That evokes such, such passionate emotions on the part of some. You know, people ask me... Um, I, and I get this question probably four, five, six times a year. They'll say, uh, now, Dr. Young, you don't believe in that predestination, do you? Do you? And uh, when they ask it that way, I, I know immediately what the problem is. And, and I'm really, I'm really um, somewhat hamstrung in my reply because I don't want to say too much. That would ultimately harm them. Uh, but I know what's in there that led them to ask that question. I know what they're thinking, or at least part of what they're thinking. They, they, they ask it like that because uh, their whole understanding of this term is all distorted and, and, and twisted and perverted. Um, they're thinking something like this. Oh, now, uh, if you believe in that predestined stuff, um, you don't believe in evangelism. Oh, you people, you believe in that thing. Uh, you, you, and I heard somebody say this one time. It was, I'm, I'm, I'm almost quote, you believe in little bitty babies who die going straight to hell. You believe in little bitty babies. I think. Or, um, I had a precious woman say to me one time, she said, um, I heard that you believe that people who, um, who, who aren't predestined, but who want to become Christians, can't. Folks, listen to me. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that. And nobody in my theological camp believes any of that. You don't believe in evangelism. Little bitty babies and they can't go. I don't believe any of that. None. Zero. Zip. I hate it like you hate it. Um, I, I don't even know anybody that believes that. Now, I know that there are some people who are called hyper-Calvinist who believe that. But that's not who I am, and that's not what you believe if you're committed to this. Um, folks, I am passionately committed to this, that any man who wants Jesus Christ can have him. And I believe this. 
And I believe that any man that wants Jesus Christ can have him. I want you to know that's not the whole story. And you probably need to hear a little bit more of the story. But I, it, what I just said is absolutely true. Any man who wants Jesus Christ can have him. Now, um, if you want the rest of the story, you probably need to sign up for my systematics class, which is January the 21st and the 28th. And then you'll get the rest of the story. But what do you mean we don't believe in evangelism? That's just, that's, that's wrong. You just don't understand. Um, I believe that any man who ends up in hell, listen to this, ends up in hell because he chose to go there. How about that? People in my theological camp believe that, folks. Now, it's, it's, it's pretty complex. Uh, and uh, I invite you on the 21st and 28th. But th- what I just said is true. And then when it comes to this evangelism thing, folks, I believe that, uh, by the way, I believe this passionately. And I also believe that every man, that, that evangelism ought to be spread to every living being on the face of the planet until there's no more oxygen in their nostrils. See, they, they come up to me and they say, you don't believe in that predestination stuff, do you? Because you people don't believe in evangelism. And I, and I want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where'd you hear that? Because that is either evilly communicated or you, you're on some kind of drugs. Because I've never believed that, ever. And not only that, <laughs> folks, not only do I believe that evangelism ought to be done through every living being on the face of the planet, do you realize that the greatest evangelists the world have ever seen have been out of my theological commitments? Do you know that? George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, Adoniram Judson. Go, go read your history books. Guys, the... The man who put in place the most widely used lay evangelism program in the world is the man that taught me much of my theological system, Dr. D. James Kennedy. We believe the same things. And, and, and somehow this misinformation occurs or it's mis... I, I don't know. You don't believe in that, do you? Because I know you people, you don't believe in evangelism. What? 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 What are you? What are you? What are you saying? Yeah, and it was little bitty babies. They're gonna go. What? And uh, you know, you uh, people want to have Jesus, and they can't have it. It couldn't be further from the truth. So, guys, um, I don't know what you believe about that word. I and I told you two weeks ago. I thought that one of the best things that I could do for you is is. Um, is just ask you to look at some texts. Let me do that real quick, and then we're going to quit. But uh, I, let me just read you a couple of verses out of Ephesians 1. And then let me make a few more comments, and I'm finished. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at um, verse 5. Ephesians 1, 5. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things on him, in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And my challenge to you, my dear friend, is to take whatever view you have of this word and stick it in there. Because I'm telling you, that, that would take us all the rest of our existences to plumb the depths of this stuff. That is just what I read out of Ephesians chapter 1. I, I might point this out too. The, the word that is translated predestined in, in Romans 8.29 is in the arrowist indicative um, th- this might add to your, your conundrum uh, if, you're, um, if you're struggling. But the, the aorist tense in the Greek language simply means this was done, started, and completed in the past. I told you that two weeks ago. All five of those verbs are all aorist indicatives. There are five aorists in that sentence. That means everything that's being described in those two verses. Um, everything that's being described there is something that was begun and accomplished and completed in the past, which is going to be interesting when we get to justified and glorified, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, that verb is in the, the aorist. All right, let me, I think they're, are y'all finished voting? I mean, counting? Let me, let me uh, wrap this up. Um, I told you, I, I do believe passionately in the responsibilities of the people of God to be engaged in the Great Commission. And I, I think I've proved that over 15 years. And so whatever misinformation you have gotten, I hope at least I can, I can address that. But let me just add one more thing. Not only do I believe in that word, I think you do too. <laughs> um. Or let me put it like this. You better. You, I mean, you don't have to believe it like I believe it. We don't, we don't ever do that. I mean, but you better believe something about that word because if you love this book, it's sure in there. And you're going to have to figure out what it says. I told you what I think it says. But you're going to have to figure out in your own theological workbook what this thing says. Um, uh, you better believe something about it. Of course, what you believe about it is, a, is another story. But I hope that I demonstrated at least two weeks ago that you cannot use this word, you cannot define this word in terms of foreknowledge. That's what we did two weeks ago. I, I said, you don't want that position. That, you know, remember I talked about looking down the quarters of time and seeing that God would, what, 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 no, not, God looks down the quarters of time and he sees what uh, you and I are going to do. And as a result of that, he responds by showering grace on those that he saw what they were going to do. You don't want that position. That is a position that is an utter denial of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. You don't want it. It's ugly. It's, it's a denial of the gospel and the heart of the gospel. You don't want that position. Now, so don't understand this in terms of foreknowledge. I, I think I, um, I, I tried to point that out last week. So I told you what I believed. I don't think you can believe that. That is... The, the other thing. So figure it out. 
and and hopefully um, hopefully you can learn to rejoice in it. Uh, it's glorious. I can say this. However, you come to understand that word, you must make sure that you do not rob God of His sovereignty. Because I can assure you, He has not robbed you of your moral responsibility. <laughs> and that is the, that is the antinomy that only reformed thinkers can maintain with consistency. You have two extremes to avoid, folks. However you understand that, you must avoid the idea that God's predestinating work turns you into automatons and that you are somehow completely uh, in charge of all that goes on. You must avoid those two extremes. I say to you, about the only place I think that I know of that does that is in the world of Reformed theology. So um, figure it out, and um, hopefully at the end of it, you'll find yourself worshiping. Um, All theology should lead to doxology. Let me close this in prayer. Our Father, I pray that you will use your word to um, stir your people that they might not sit idly by and um, let anyone mislead them, including Jimmy Young. And I pray that they will discover the riches of your great grace and uh, that, their gods, that their God might get bigger and bigger and bigger as we discover that the horizon has been mapped out beforehand. We bless you, O oh God, that you are um, utterly and absolutely sovereign over the affairs of men. Might that give us uh, a great assurance that our God reigns in heaven as well as earth. Teach us the excellencies of your character. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you and good night.